Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Zach McCulley, and today I'm joined by Dr. Joel Beakey, President of, Re- of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids. Dr. Beakey is just released with co-author Paul Smalley, Volume 3, in their Reformed Systematic Theology series, Spirit and Salvation. Uh, the series has been published with Crossway, and we're really glad to see this new volume here in print. Dr. Beakey, congratulations on the book, and thank you for joining me today. It's my, my privilege, Zach. Well, it's great to have you here to discuss the book. Uh, but before we do that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and my parents were very godly. I came under severe conviction of sin when I was 14 years old and found liberty in Christ when I was 15 and felt strongly called to ministry Uh when I was maybe just about turning 16 and um, wanted to devote my life to uh, to writing and preaching. And actually, I, I dreamt, Zach, I dreamt of, uh, of actually writing a full systematic theology as a teenager. Later on, I gave up those dreams, thought it was, it was too much. And um, but anyway, I've been writing all my life. I feel closest to God when I write. So I feel like I'm a, almost a compulsive writer. Um, I would write for myself, even if I wanted to write for, for print. But anyway, I have a wonderful wife named Mary, three uh, wonderful children and wonderful spouses, and seven beautiful grandchildren, the oldest of which is only five. Um, and yes, I'm president of a seminary that I've been working for for close to uh, 27, 28 years now. And um it started with four students, and today it has 221 from 20 countries around the world and about 30 different denominations, mostly Reformed students. And I'm pastor for, um, actually this week, it was my 35th anniversary in the Heritage Reform Congregation of, of Grand Rapids. And then I also started Reformation Heritage Books, which is a big part of my life. It's my hobby. It's my uh, love. So I, I love I love getting good books in the hands of people. Very good. Well, Dr. Beakey, you mentioned some of your writing and you've written expansively in your career, uh, especially on the, on the doctrines of, of the Reformed tradition, especially uh, Puritan theology. That's what comes to mind uh, when mm-hmm. I think of your name. I've been helped by a number of your books. Um, but as we turn to this volume here on the spirit and salvation, um, can you take us back first to what this series, uh, Reform Systematic Theology, is, is all about and, and what you and Dr. Smalley are, are aiming to accomplish with this project as a whole? Yes, well, just for the sake of, of, of listeners, uh, many of them will probably know this, but Reformed Systematic Theology traditionally aims to look at 
all the major doctrines of the Bible in seven categories. Uh, the first category is called prolegomena, which means um, first things first, and that refers to uh, who is God and, and, and well, mainly, how does, how does God reveal himself? So it looks at revelation. And um, then there's six areas that we call loci or six area subjects. There's the doctrine of God. So volume one that Paul Smalley and I did is revelation and God. Then uh, there's uh, the doctrine of man and the doctrine of Christ called anthropology and Christology. That's volume two. And then there's the area of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. That's this third volume. We added several hundred pages on the Holy Spirit to begin with and the ethics of uh, soteriology and how we live the Christian life on the back end. And then volume four will be uh, the doctrine of the church and the last things, commonly called ecclesiology and eschatology. And what's what we're trying to do in this four volume systematics, which is about about 5,000 pages, it's, 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 it's hefty, but we're trying to do it for a wide target audience from lay people all the way up to scholars. So when we do use big theological words, we explain them so it's readable. But we're trying to use basically a five-fold approach where we first, um, and this is, this is the way I lecture. So what, what actually my co-author is doing is he's taking my lectures and he's um, uh, fleshing them out a little more fully. Quite, quite a bit more fully in some cases, footnoting them and then um, making them also to address maybe a few more contemporary issues than I have time for in the classroom. And then he presents it back to me and we go back and forth and so on. So it's, it's, it's really my life's legacy of teaching for 30 years with my assistant, Dr. Smalley, on my, on my right hand. Um, now, what we're trying to do is five-fold approach. Number one, we look at what Scripture says, um, everything about each particular doctrine. And then we look at what does church history say, both negatively and positively, pro and con. And then we look at basically how do you experience this doctrine? It's called experiential theology. How do you, how do you not only assimilate this doctrine into your head, but also into your heart, into your life? And then fourthly, how do you how do you put hands and feet on it? Those are practical applications. So usually we'll have anywhere from three to ten practical applications from each doctrine. And then we end in doxology, number five, with a poem or a hymn, so that at the end of every chapter, we want our reader to say, Wow, this is a beautiful doctrine for the Christian life. By these things men live. Uh, like Luther said, uh, doctrine, doctrine is heaven, Luther said, um, and, and that's how we feel about doctrine. So our goal, our goal is that no reader ever, ever, ever <laughs> again will say doctrine is somehow boring. So this is a practical, yet academic, yet wide target audience uh, with systematic theology that aims to minister to the head, the heart, and the hands and feet. Very good. Well, you know, when we when we look at this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, this has been discussed under the Locus of Pneumatology in, in Volume 1, but 
an issue that you point out in the preface to this volume is that the work of the Holy Spirit, it overlaps with the locus of soteriology. Um, could you talk to us for a moment about, first of all, what, what these terms mean and then why it was important to sort of combine these areas here in volume three? Yes. Well, a couple of things. Good question, by the way. Uh, one is that volume three would normally just be what's called the order of salvation. That is how the Holy Spirit works um, salvation in the soul of the believer or the sinner who becomes a believer. Um, and so it looks at subjects like union with Christ and then the whole order of salvation from effectual calling God stopping us, calling us, um, which is usually combined with regeneration. And then things like faith, repentance, justification, uh, adoption, sanctification, and perseverance. So that, that's basically your traditional order of salvation and what most systematic theologies include in a volume on the, the area of salvation or soteriology. Soteriology is just a fancy word for the study of salvation, a Latin word. Um, now, so what we've done is we've added a front section of about uh, 220 pages in which we look at things that we didn't look at when we were talking, at, talking about the Trinity in volume one. We did look at the Holy Spirit and who he is in volume one. But now we're looking at things like uh, the Holy Spirit's work in creation and common grace and Old Testament Israel, um, the Spirit's work in Jesus, the Spirit's work at, at, at Pentecost and what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in the church and the signs and wonders of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit in the new creation. So because these are areas of great interest, Sometimes have most of these have been underdeveloped in systematic theology. We thought it was good to put a whole section in about the Spirit's work, um, sort of as a biblical theology section, moving from creation all the way to the new creation, and then focus on how he works specifically salvation in, in the believer. And then we look at, uh, which is also an addition to most systematic theologies, we look at the experience of salvation in terms of some special things like the indwelling of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, and assurance of salvation. And then, finally, we also look at what we call the ethics that flow out of the doctrine of salvation. And let me, let me just explain that a quick minute. Today, ethics is a specialized department usually, and people become, you know, ethicists uh, also in the Christian faith. But when that's not grounded in systematic theology, which always must be grounded entirely in the Word of God, often ethics goes in a very liberal direction. Also, Christian ethics, it often just follows the thinking of the world, maybe, maybe 10 or 20 years behind it. But the old way, the old Reformed Puritan way of doing ethics was to attach it to the, to the doctrine of salvation, because now you have what the believer experiences in being saved and staying saved, but also how does he live ethically? And that's a natural flowing out of salvation. So we've added a, 
a couple hundred pages at the end, which is seldom done today, but was commonly done centuries ago, where we look at the marks of grace in a Christian's life, how he should examine himself. Then we have four chapters on the Ten Commandments, how to live a life according to the rule of God. And then we look at the fear of the Lord, self-denial, sober watchfulness, how to backsliding, how to recover from it, and prayer, and the hope of glorification. So this is a volume three, more than the other volumes, is something that we've broadened out beyond what is typically done today. And at the same time, we're addressing uh, all the contemporary issues that have arisen today, all the major ones at least. Um, so in the whole area of salvation as well, we want, we want to make this a very contemporary uh, set of books that will address uh, issues that the typical Christian faces in everyday life. Well, as we think kind of organizationally here, I think it's of note that before introducing readers uh, to the, or, or before getting into the history of the work of the Spirit, um, you talk about the importance of studying the Holy Spirit, of becoming acquainted uh, with the doctrine. Can you tell us what was the thinking behind uh, using this as an entry into the volume, really? Um, is there uh, opposition to uh, the study of the Spirit? Yes, well, that, that's also a very good question. The Spirit, in some cases, is minimized today, uh, also in Reformed circles, and everything is about Jesus. And because the Spirit takes the things of Jesus and reveals them to us, and one way we can understand that. But to, to really understand how the Holy Spirit works in our souls and our lives so that we can, through Christ, go back to God and give him the glory for his own salvation. We need to understand um, who the Holy Spirit is and, and how, how he works. And so um, we need to know not only the Father and the Son, but we also need to know the Holy Spirit. And, and therefore, this is what um, part of what I, I call experiential Christianity, where you experience the doctrines of grace and you come to intimately know experientially the three persons of the Trinity. And that's the theme that, you know, John Owen, of course, the, the, the prince of the Puritans, wrote a whole book about called Communion with God. How do you commune distinctly with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit? And so what we do in an opening chapter is we, we try to give um, uh, rationale and, and various pointers on what it means to know, to know the Holy Spirit, to avoid unbiblical mysticism on the one hand and dry intellectualism on the other and promote a very healthy relationship of the believer to the Holy Spirit. So we look at things like um, to know the Holy Spirit is, is is to know our salvation. It's to understand our sanctification. It's to it's to balance the Christian life, and it's to worship God uh, rightly, and it's to be equipped to speak to our to our culture today. So, and also, how do you how do you get prepared for spiritual warfare if you don't know the Spirit who who outfits you and, and gives you grace? How do you pray? without the Spirit, when the Bible says that he groans within us, groanings that are unutterable, 
And uh, how do you do anything in the spiritual life apart from dependency on the Holy Spirit? Because we're just sinners. And ultimately, of course, we stress that to know the Holy Spirit is to know uh, Christ, because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of Christ. So I like to look at it this way. The, the Son of God and the Spirit of God are in a kind of partnership to work out the whole of salvation within the believer. And when we don't realize our dependency on the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we, we bring ourselves into spiritual poverty and, and darkness. Well, Dr. Beeky, we have uh, the the history, the order, and the experience of salvation. Um, can you talk to us about the relationship that these uh, three different mm-hmm. perspectives have? Because they're not unrelated, are they? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, the reason the history of salvation is important as the as the work of the Spirit is because there are so many today that are ignoring that or thinking that in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit is hardly present. And we're trying to demolish that idea in the first couple hundred pages. We recognize, of course, that with the coming of the Spirit in his fullness on the day of Pentecost, that, you know, the little sprinklings of references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament become a, a flash flood, as it were, and um, the Spirit is poured out in rich abundance. But there still is considerable uh, emphasis on the work of the Spirit in ways I've already mentioned in this interview uh, in, in the Old Testament economy. So the history is important, so we get a good biblical grasp of who the Holy Spirit is and, and how he works. And um, even David, for example, Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, is dependent on the Spirit in his work of salvation and keeping him safe. And then the order of salvation, of course, is important because we don't want to trace out how God works in the soul by his spirit just to end in our own experience, but we want to trace it out in order to bring him the glory. And so the seedbed for that order is particularly found in Romans 8, 29, and 30, where we read of various steps of salvation that Paul outlines uh, from predestination all the way to glorification. And so by spelling that out, you see, the goal is that the believer gets a much richer appreciation of the magnitude and the beauty of that amazing work of salvation that the Spirit works within him. And so he ends up saying, soli deo gloria, uh, glory be to God alone. And then the experience of salvation Really, the whole order of salvation is um, overlapping with this because the whole order of salvation we also experience. But what we did in this section is we really wanted to look at, as I said, the ethics of living out the Christian life, but also look at some subjects that aren't ordinarily included in the uh, order of salvation, like the filling of the Spirit, the earnest of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, that that are related to uh, intimate experience of the Spirit and of the triune God in in Christian living. Well, you know, there, there are uh, just a number of really important chapters within these sections uh, of the volume. Uh, can you tell us <laughs> what were, say, two of your favorite chapters to work on and, and why? 
Well, uh, yes. <clears throat> I think I really enjoyed the uh, the chapter on adoption. And um, I'm not sure how my, my co-author would answer, answer this question, but I'll, I'll answer it from my perspective. I particularly liked the second chapter on adoption and the second part of it, where I, I worked with the theme of um, how all of our relationships in life are transformed once we realize we're adopted into the children of God. You see, if God is my father and I'm adopted, and Jesus is my elder brother and I'm adopted, and the Spirit is my indweller and I'm adopted, then I have an intimate fam familial relationship with a triune God. So he doesn't punish me, but he chastens me because he's my father, you see. So as Jesus said, he does all things in relationship to his father and his whole passion in life is to do the will of my father, which has sent me. See, if you're adopted to God's family, then your whole life is reoriented toward God. And that's, that's very exciting. Then you just want to do God's will. And despite your ongoing indwelling sin, which you bitterly regret, you have this relationship with God that is altogether different from uh, standing before God just as, just as a holy judge. But now I get to stand before God and have my judge be my savior and my father be my, uh, my best friend through Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling me, counseling me, guiding me. But also, my relationship changes with regard to myself, because now I want to be holy and pure, and I want to please my Father. And my relationship changes to the world, because now, if the world hated Jesus, it, the world will despise me as well as a Christian. So I need to not be surprised when the world persecutes me. And my relationship is changed changed with regard to the church, because now I have all these brothers and sisters, myriads of them, myriads of them. I belong to the largest family on earth. And my relationship changes, therefore, to, to these fellow believers in that I would be willing to lay down my life for them because they are my brothers and my sisters. So, so you, your whole life changes once you realize you're adopted into God's family. So I, th I thought that was an exciting chapter. That was mainly, mainly based on 1 John 3. Um, 1 through 18, where all these transforming changes are spelled out by the apostle. And then the second one, yeah, I always love assurance of faith. I, I did my doctoral work on assurance of faith. So I think the first chapter on assurance of salvation is, is in some ways a really, really condensed version of my doctoral work but put into a language that people can, can understand. And looking at the three foundations of assurance, the promises of God, the inward evidences of grace, and the direct testimony of the Holy Spirit, and then stressing how we can cultivate that kind of rich and robust and full assurance in our soul by the saving work of the Spirit within us, and then um, also addressing how do, we, how do we lose certain measure of assurance when we live in low levels of obedience? And how do we get that assurance revived? Um, I'd like to think that this is probably one of the most practical chapters for Christians mm -hmm. who really want to live fully for God and want to live out of, out of a robust assurance. 
Yeah, that's very good. Well, when readers are working through this volume, they're they're also going to come across um, a, a lot of a lot of names, a lot of Christian thinkers and pastors in church history, who some of them devoted their their lives to careful reading and writing on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sibs comes up a lot. Uh, Perkins, Bavink, none are featured more than than Owen, I think, besides maybe Calvin. Um, can you say a few words about? some of these who who you are referencing in the volume and what value you saw in uh, commending to readers these Christians of the past? Well, yes. When you do systematic theology, you know, I said section two of each chapter is really, really focused on church history. So you, you recognize that your supreme authority is, of course, the Bible. So that's the first section, the foundational section. But you are not to approach systematic theology by saying, well, this is just the Bible, God, and me, and I'm going to ignore 2,000 years of church history in which the Holy Spirit was also working in the church and guiding the church, often through errors and through heresies, the church <clears throat> hammered out biblical doctrines in precise language that enriches uh, believers' lives and their their thought patterns. And this is very important because what we think and what we believe will impact how we live and what we experience. And so um, I believe that the Reformed approach, which of course is headed up by people like, like Calvin and Bullinger and Peter Martyr and Martin Bootser and others, uh, and then buttressed by the Puritans in the next century, as they, as the Puritans said, how do we take all these doctrines now and put them to practice in every area of our lives? Um, I believe that that Reformed slash Puritan system of um, interpreting the scriptures is the most accurate of all of church history. Certainly, Reformers and Puritans are the most intensely biblical people uh, in, in church history. And so it's natural when you want to expound what the Bible's saying to, uh, to lean on them, and as Paul put it, to follow them insofar as we follow Christ. And they've done so much heavy lifting in the area of good thinking, good applications, good exposition of what a believer experiences and what he practices, that um, it just enriches your, your biblical theology. But of course, we always subject this to, to the Word of God. Very good. Well, Dr. Beeky, you've been really generous with your time here, and I'm, I'm thankful that, that you've been able to come on and uh, speak to us about this new volume. Uh, perhaps before we go, though, can you tell uh, our listeners what writing projects uh, you're, you're planning on working on next, uh, what they might look out for? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a list of about 50 of them. If I live to be as old as Methuselah, I, I don't think I'd, I'd finish <laughs> them. But uh, I, I um, yeah, let, let me say let me say quickly that um, for, for your for your listener who wants to get volume three or for that matter, volumes one through three of the Reformed Systematic Theology, um, by far the cheapest place to get it is at heritagebooks.org as we're selling them for 50% off because we're not interested in making any money on these, but we just want to get them into the hands of people to read and 
and, and make them excited about uh, about um, the truths of the Bible and how they impact their lives. And by the way, let me also say, Zach, if I may, that we're sure. about two thirds of the way with the fourth and final volume at the present moment. We hope to finish it by next August, the Lord willing, and then it will take well, it takes Crossway about fourteen months, I think, to turn around the book and actually bring it out to print. So, volume four will probably come out, the Lord sparing us, um, in November or October of twenty twenty-three. So, then the, this ten-year project should should be uh, should be done, the Lord willing. Um, what books am I writing on now or next? Well, I'm working on a number of books right now. Uh, one that I'm working on is um, a book for teenagers called Modern Heroes. I've I've worked with co-authors on um, Reformation heroes and Puritan heroes, and now I'm working with Douglas Bond as my co-author on Modern Heroes, uh, looking at say 30 or so uh, great heroes of the Christian faith from the 18th century to the present day, and then. Um, I'll be working next year on uh, ancient and medieval heroes with Michael Haken as my co-author, also for the same age group. And then these four volumes will be a kind of mini set walking through church history. Um, Homeschoolers buy them often, but they're, they're, they're very beautiful books with full color pictures, all glossy paper. Uh, They're coffee table books, really. But um, we, well, and the Reformation heroes and Puritan heroes have sold tens of thousands, and uh, we're hoping that for the other two volumes as well. And then maybe I'll mention one more. I have a I have a passion um, and a goal in my life to also um, help preachers a lot. I've written a book called Reformed Preaching, where I look at that Crossways published. But I want to take some of my other homiletics classes. And uh, that I've been teaching for decades, and I want to um, write them out in book form. I have a class called Preaching on Special Occasions, uh, preaching for 53 different kinds of special occasions. I want to I want to turn that into a book, giving guidance to ministers how to preach in different kinds of occasions, like how to do a radio interview, everything from that all the way to uh, how to administer the Lord's Supper or how to do a wedding, or how to do a funeral, with very specific detail of suggestions, and then have an accompanying volume in which uh, I give samples of all 53 of those occasions. But I'm always working on different books for, 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 for very young children. My wife and I just wrote four books for children three to seven years old, and up to academic stuff. But um, mainly as I get older, I'm working on books that uh, relate to, uh, I think, probably educated believers in the church is my most popular uh, target audience. Yeah, it's all very good. And, you know, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for some of these because it would be good to talk again about your writing and maybe come on New Books Network uh, in, the, in the future. Um, but, but for now, uh, we're thankful that you've written this book. It's volume three in the Reform Systematic Theology series. Um, it's on the spirit and salvation. Uh, it's out now with Crossway. Uh, and Dr. Beakey, thank you again for your time. Thank you so much, Zach. God bless you. 
And thanks everyone for listening. I'll see you next time on New Books in Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network.